Amen. God bless you today, just for a few minutes. I want to talk to us about a subject that, that on the outset, it, it might seem a little simple or elementary for to be speaking to a Christian church. Just for a few moments today, I want to talk about this subject, and it's simply this, trusting God, trusting God. And that seems pretty broad. It seems kind of like a kind of like a, almost vague in a way because these are, this is a term or terms that we throw around a lot. you got to trust the Lord, trust in the Lord, trust God, trust in God. You hear people in the Christian faith say this a lot. We use it a lot, but I'm afraid that many times in our lives, this phrase that we use, sometimes if I, let me don't speak, I don't want to speak for anybody else in this room, let me speak for myself. There's times in my life when I'll say I'm trusting God. And if I'm to be honest, I'm probably just saying what I'm trained to say. If I really dug real deep into my heart, into my mind, and my life, and how I really think, what, I'm, what, what I really feel, I'm saying something, I don't know how, my lips, but what, I'm what I really feel in my heart is life is out of control, and I don't know how I'm going to put it all back together again. But I'm saying it, and so, so I want us to move beyond lip service today and let that, let that mindset, let that motto just sink deep down into our hearts today that we are trusting God, not just trusting Him, but having complete confidence, complete and total confidence in Him through every situation in our life, every situation in our life. We can use words like confidence and faith and assurance but all of these are just synonyms of the word trust. Trust. A verse of scripture that, that many of you in this room I'm sure are familiar with. We use, this, we use these two verses of scripture a lot around here at Life Church. It's found in Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5. It says, Trust in the Lord with all of your heart and lean not on your own understanding. Verse 6 says, in all your ways, acknowledge him, look to him, and he shall direct your paths. This past week, we had a big event that happened in our community in Washita Parish, Monroe, Louisiana. The President of the United States, Air Force One, landed in Monroe, Louisiana, it's the first time since Highway 1983 when President Reagan came. It was a big day for our community. I mean, highways were shut down, and, 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 and people had to figure out new ways to get home from work and to work and what have you on, on this past day. And, and there was a lot of excitement in the air about the president coming to town. There was a lot of, a lot of, uh, a lot of talk and chatter on, on, on social media. The president is coming to Monroe, and there's one thing that I detected. I've known this was true for our nation as a whole. If you watch national news, you know this, but, but then on this past week, these last couple of weeks, I began to see that not only is this a national issue, it's also a local issue, that there is this great polarization in our society today, in our nation, in our world, even right here in our own local Northeast Louisiana communities. There is this great divide, this polarization that has take, taken place. When you talked about the president coming to town, there were some who were really, really excited about this. I mean, they were putting their red hats on and they were getting their tickets and they were lining up at five o'clock in the morning and camping out all day and they were really excited and they were thrilled about the fact that their president is coming to town, but then there were others. There was others who didn't feel the same way. In fact, they felt completely opposite, polar opposite. They were really disappointed that this was happening. There was the, there's these two extremes, J. Trump country today, and even in our community. To some, they believe that the day that Donald J. Trump was elected to the, uh, to, to the White House, to, the, to 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue, they, they believe that this was the gates of heaven opening up for our nation. And then there were others who believe that because of that, that, that America is going to hell in a handbasket. <laughs> I mean, this, this polar opposite, you won't hardly find anybody in the middle. There is, there's either a love feeling or a hate feeling. And let me just go ahead and tell you right now, I'm not here to talk politics today, okay? I'm just simply laying a foundation for something. I'm not here to endorse anybody or promote anybody or put anybody down. I'm just stating the facts this morning. People are all over the map with this. But here's what I've come today to say to all of us people of God today, what I've come to say to all of us, what I want to encourage us to do today as people of God, 
to not get so worked up either way. To not live in either extreme of this of this world and this mindset. I believe that we should be involved in the process. I, I believe that we should pray every day for our, for our nation and for our leaders, whoever those leaders might be. There have been presidents in our past that I did not care for their policies and I didn't care for their viewpoints, but I honored that office and I prayed for that leader and I and we that leader and what they were trying to do. And we must, as God's people, we must pray and we must seek the Lord. Nothing wrong with getting involved in the process. If there's something you feel like you can do, get involved and do it. But at the end of the day, for us, our kingdom is not of the things and the people of this earth. We serve a higher and a greater kingdom. So we pray and we seek the Lord. We must remember that we cannot let our confidence rest in a system. Our confidence for our future, our trust cannot, cannot rest in a system or even in a political party or even in an individual. Now don't, don't shout me down right now. I think there ought to be one or two or five or or 200 amens after that. We don't put our trust in a president or in a government system or a political party. Our trust is in the Lord and him alone. I want to remind us all today that God doesn't get voted into and out of office. We need to be certain that at the end of the day in every situation that we have our confidence that our trust is anchored in the Lord and him alone. In Genesis 22, we find this story of Abraham where he is, he's demonstrating these incredibly high levels of trust in God. It's a lengthy reading today, but, but forgive me, I'm, I'm reading a little more than I normally do this morning, but I, I, want us to get a, I want us to get a picture of the whole story here. It's in Genesis 22, beginning with verse 1. It says, Now it came to pass... After these things that God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. Then he said, take now your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall, I shall tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning and saddled his donkey and took two of his young men with him and Isaac his son. And he split the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. Then on the third day, Abraham lifted his eyes and saw the place afar off. And Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey. The lad and I will go yonder and worship, listen to this, and we will come back to you. Remember the instruction of the Lord was take your son and offer him up. Sacrifice your son as a burnt offering. But listen to the trust, the faith that Abraham had. He was fully willing to go and do exactly what God had commanded him to do. But there was a trust inside of Abraham. There was a faith deep down in him that he said, you know what, regardless of what it looks like right now, regardless of what it sounds like right now, regardless of the road that, we see, that we're on right now and what our end looks like right now, I am trusting the Lord and we will, not me by myself, we will come back to you. Verse 6, so Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac his son. And he took the fire in his hand and a knife. And the two of them went together. But Isaac spoke to Abraham, his father, and said, My father. And he said, Here I am, my son. Then he said, Look, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? And Abraham said, I love this, the trust that he has in the Lord. My son, God will provide for himself the lamb for the burnt offering. So the two of them went together. And they came to the place of which God had told him. And Abraham built an altar there and placed the wood in order. And then he bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar upon the wood. And Abraham stretched out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. So he said once again, here I am. I, I just realized as I was reading this for the first time just now, there are three times in this scripture already, that Abraham's response was, here I am. Here I am. I, I may just have to go a whole other direction and preach a whole sermon today because there's one 
right there. If we will just have ears to hear and a heart receptive every time the Lord speaks, I'm convinced he's always speaking to us, but whether or not we have an ear to hear, if we could hear his voice to simply say, here I am. I don't have a plan. I, 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 don't, have the, I don't have all the answers. Everything doesn't look good, but here I am, Lord. My heart is open. My life is a vessel for you to mold and use and do what you want to in my life. So he says again to the Lord, he says, here I am. And he said, do not lay your hand on the lad or do anything to him, for now I know, now I know that, I, that you trust me. Now I know that you fear God since you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. Then Abraham lifted his eyes and looked, and there behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by its horns. So Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. And Abraham called the name of the place, the Lord will provide, as it is said to this day, in the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. Then the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time out of heaven and said, By myself I have sworn, says the Lord, because you have done this thing and have not withheld your son, your only son, blessing, I will bless you. Hear this. Hear what the declaration of God is over Abraham's life. Because of this, because you, this is the end me, because you put all of your confidence in me and my word. This is what I'm going to do. This is the end result. Blessing, I will bless you. And multiplying, I will multiply your descendants as the stars of the heaven and as the sand which is on the seashore. And your descendants shall possess the gate of their enemies. In your seed, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed because you have obeyed my voice, because you have trusted me. The first thing I notice in this scripture today is simply this, God doesn't always offer explanations. <laughs> Have you ever noticed that in your life? God doesn't always offer explanations. If I'm Abraham, the first thing I want to know is why? Why? What is the reason God is asking me to do this barbaric thing, this, this cruel thing of offering my son as a, as a burnt offering? Why is the Lord asking this question in all of my years of knowing God? Uh, walking with him, uh, having a relationship with him, and, and growing in that relationship. One thing that I've observed is that God, when he speaks, he oftentimes speaks in sound bites. He doesn't give explanations. He doesn't, he doesn't give long definitions. He'll speak in sound bites. He uses words like go. Go. Come on, God, is, is there any more to that instruction? than How about a direction to go? How about, how about a path to take? He just says, go, or you, Lord, or come, as he said to, to Simon Peter on the boat that day when he was walking on water, and Peter said, if it's you, Lord, just bid me to come. And he says, come. Didn't give him any instructions. He didn't tell him, put, put some waders on before you get, he didn't do it. He just said, get out of the boat and come and trust me. He'll use words like go and come and follow me. Rather than giving a whole list of details, he leaves all of that in a place of mystery. You ever felt like you were living in a place of mystery? You ever felt like, you, ever felt like you, were, you were just kind of walking through a dark hallway and you really didn't know what the next step was going to hold, but you were trusting and it was kind of a mystery? Many times leaving us not knowing and not understanding completely. And there's always these gaps. We, on the other hand, we want details, right? That's how we are. We want details. I'm married to someone who loves details. I'm an overview guy. I'm kind of a big picture guy. I went here. I went there. I saw this person. That's it. And now I want to sit down with my remote control, and I want to just kind of wash all of the day away. But no, 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 no. Who did you see? What were they doing? What were they wearing? Where, where, like, I mean, just uh, what all did y'all talk about? What, about? what about their mom and them? And I mean, just, and I'm like, oh, too many details. But that's really how we are with the Lord. We want to know the why. We want to know the how and the when and the where and the how long. We want it all mapped out perfectly for us. Can I just tell you there are several reasons, I believe, why God doesn't offer explanations. There's several reasons for this. One reason is this. If we knew the process, if we knew the journey, if we knew what it was going to take to get from A to B, we probably, we probably would not accept the journey. We probably wouldn't say yes. If we knew the challenges, we might focus more on the, on the challenges instead of the prize. If we knew the pain, we might not push our way through the pain for the gain. 
We might give up during the challenge instead of experiencing the victory. If we knew the whole process, if we knew the things we were going to lose in our lives along the way, we might just never even enter into the journey. So there are reasons why God doesn't give us all the details when he talks to us. As people who want the details, we often find ourselves having a hard time because, because we want explanations before we trust God. God wants us to trust him without explanations. That's trust defined. Before we go thinking that God is bad for operating like this. He's a mean, cruel God because he just takes us down these dark hallways. We need to think of no answers to the questions. I think all of us parents in the room need to think about how we operate with our own children, do we not? I don't know how many of you have ever have gone through that stage with your children. We'll call it the why stage. Why? Well, we're going to do this. Why? We're gonna, because of this. Why? Why are we going to do Why? Why? And they're sitting back there in that car seat, and you're hearing it in your, in your right ear over your, over your right shoulder. Why? 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 And you know what happens. There comes that moment after about the 27th why that you've answered, there finally comes that moment when you as a parent, you, you're, you're completely out of energy and explanations, and then you just simply make that, that one statement that all parents have said at one time or another, and it's simply this, because I said so. Thank you very much. And what we're really saying to our children is, is no more explanations. No more explanations. You are the child, I'm the parent. I'm the mama, I'm the daddy, I am the parent, period. Trusting God is not, understanding, is not always just understanding what God is thinking or what he is planning. There are some things about our life that we will not understand whether we're trusting God or not trusting God, whether, whether we put our trust in him or not. So here's our options. Here's not options. We can not understand what God is doing and trust him, or we can not understand uh, without trusting him. Whichever, we can, we can not understand why we're trusting him, or we can not understand why we're not trusting him. We, that's, that's basically our two options. But either way, whichever option we choose, either way, we're not going to understand. So it's the same outcome. So the sooner we realize that we have these two options, and neither of them include understanding God, the easier it will be to choose the right option. And that's simply this. Trust God. Trust God. If we move on in this story where God is giving his instruction, we get to this verse 2. Verse 2, and, and this is where we get to the next point. In verse 2, it said... Uh, it, it was the instruction that God gave Abraham. This is what I want you to do. I want you to take your son, your only son. I want you to sacrifice him. If we get to this point in this story, this is what I want us to understand. Times, times of uncertainty, times of uncertainty present the greatest opportunities to trust God. Point number one, times of uncertainty present the greatest opportunities to trust God. Today we're simply talking about trusting God. The first time that these words showed up on our currency, in God we trust, it was in 1864 during the Civil War. This was a war where 600,000 Americans died. It was a time of heightened turmoil. It was a very difficult and tragic time in our nation when it was divided greatly. Sometimes on a battlefield, you'd find family on one side battling against their own blood kin on the other side. It was during this season in the life of our nation when In God We Trust first appeared on the coin. And then the next time it popped up was in 1956 when our national leaders adopted it as our country's motto. And then they put it on all of our currency, In God we trust. 1956 was the time of the Cold War. And again, it was a time in our nation's history where, where there was high anxiety and, and people were troubled and our nation's character was being tested at its very core and communism was, was the going trend. It was in that season that our nation's leaders responded to a very, very difficult time leading the way with those four words of declaration that says, 
in God we trust. It was saying this, we're in trouble. We have very difficult situations we're facing. We have more questions than we have answers. But one thing is for sure, in God we trust. And now today, you and I, we are the beneficiaries of a legacy that was established by our national leaders way back there. We live in, and I believe we still to this day live in what I believe is the greatest nation on the planet today. I still believe that. I still believe that. Regardless of what the world says, regardless of what media says, I still believe we live in the greatest nation on earth. But I believe this is the reason why. The reason we do is because way back then, our leaders had the courage in difficult times to set the course. And they saw the opportunity to declare themselves a people who will trust in God. I want to encourage all of us today to stay certain in uncertain times. We're living in very uncertain times right now. We're living in shaky times right now. But I want to encourage us to stay certain in economic uncertainty, to stay certain in political uncertainty. I want us to remain, to remain certain and stay certain in, in relational uncertainty, to remain certain in transitional uncertainty, to maintain our resolve even when we don't understand the season that we're living in. If you're living in loneliness, we have one option, trust God. If you're living in that stage of your life where you find yourself single and you feel like somehow your life is incomplete right now in your, in, in your relationships, I, 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 my, there's one instruction here. Don't go, looking for, don't go looking for that source here. Trust God. If you're single again and you found yourself in that place that you never thought you were going to be at, but you're there again in that season, my instruction and my, my encouragement to all of us is trust God. If you're going through struggles in your health, there's one instruction for all of us today, and it is simply this, trust God, when people disappoint you, trust God. When the checkbook is upside down, trust God. When you're laid off of your job and it doesn't seem like there's going to be an answer for a new one, trust God. Trust Jehovah Jireh. He is and always has been and always will be our provider. Trust God. We may not know and we may not understand and that's okay. We don't, have to, we don't have to have all the explanations. That's okay as long as we know in whom we believe and in whom we put our trust. Especially when we don't know is when we need to plant our heels in the ground and have unwavering confidence in God. Several years ago I preached a message, in fact I believe it was almost like not back three week series where we talked about, talked about uh, not backing down not backing down, and we used the old song. Uh, it was originally put out by Tom Petty. Any of y'all remember Tom Petty? Okay, a couple of you, thank you. All right. It was later remixed or remade by, uh, by uh, what's his name? Uh, Johnny Cash, Johnny Cash. How I many of you know Johnny Cash? Okay, a few more Johnny Cash fans in the room. But the words of the song, it simply went like this. Well, I won't back down. No, I won't back down. You can stand me up at the gates of hell, but I won't back down. You're Tom Petty. No, I won't back down. I won't be turned around. And I'll keep this world from dragging me down. Gonna stand my ground. And I won't back down. When there's uncertainty in our lives, then, in those moments, more than ever, we have to be determined that I won't back down. My faith and my trust in God will not waver during those times. I'm going to stand my ground. I'm going to trust God anyway. I'm going to trust God in every season and in every situation as something in my life. If I'm being honest with you today, as a believer... As someone who, who trusts the Lord, as a minister, as a pastor, can I be honest with you and tell you there have been situations and seasons in my life where I was selective in whether or not this was, this was something that called for trusting God or not. 
And I know that's true because there's been times when I've taken a hold of something. I've tried to fix something. I've, I've tried to fix it by worrying about it or stressing over it. When life's uncertain, one thing is for certain. I'm going to trust in God and I won't back down. Can I just remind everybody in this room today that the Democrats cannot help you? The Republicans cannot help you. The president cannot help you. The governor cannot help you. Whoever that ends up being, your state representative can't help you. Okay, I'm, I was going to stop right there. When, when the economy is sideways and we can't do anything about it, what are we going to do as people of God? We are going to trust in God and we will not back down. The next point I want to make today is this. The greatest, opportunities, the greatest opportunities to trust God doesn't happen in a place of addition, but in a place of subtraction. The greatest opportunities to trust God, they do not happen in a place of addition, but rather in a place of subtraction. In verse 2 of this story that we read, when God talks to Abraham, trust is the issue on the table. That, that's, what, that, that, that's what this whole story, this whole message was about in, in the life of Abraham. It was all about trust. Trust was the one thing that was in question. Trust is the issue on the table in our lives when God asks us to let go of something or surrender something that we think is ours. This is mine to worry about. This is mine to deal with. This is not something I'm going to trust God with. Every time, that's, what, that's what's on the table is trust. Whether it's our ideas of how things are supposed to be, whether it's our will or our way of how we want things to happen or flow, when God asks us to let go of something in order to go where he is taking us, when, when it's about giving up something that, he wants, that we want to keep in our lives, it's all about trust. That's where trust is now on the table, and now trust is the issue. Trust is not an issue in those seasons of addition in our lives. Uh, trust is not an issue when, when he's adding to our lives. I know every one of us, my dad stood up here a minute ago and he talked about the blessings of God that we've all experienced and the, the faithfulness of God. But when we're living in those seasons where blessings are flowing and additions are coming and all of that, it's, in, it's not in those seasons that our, that, that our God is being tested. It's not during the time when there's a new job or, or a new promotion or God blesses us with a new home as he did with Justin and Jenna or, 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 or when God blesses us with new relationships or that special relationship when God puts Mr. and Mrs. Wonderful in your life. It's in, it's in, the, seasons of, it's in the season of addition we don't even have to trust God. It's in those seasons we don't even have to. There's not even an opportunity to. And a time of addition in our lives is not a moment of testing of our trust. But when he asks us, when he's asking us to surrender something, that's when our trust is tested. He'll never ask us to give up something that we don't have, but he may ask us to surrender something that we would rather keep. God will never ask us to surrender something that we do not have in our lives, but he may ask us to surrender something to him that we would rather hold on to and keep. So it's in that moment that we have the opportunity. That's when the greatest opportunity presents itself, to trust God. Obedience usually takes us down first, and then it elevates us. I, I, I wondered if I wanted to talk about this, but I'll take just about two seconds today and talk about tithing. I'm not here to to anybody about tithing or how you need to tithe. But I think about the principle of tithing in our lives. And, and, and we've probably mentioned it or talked about it three times in the entire 17 years that Life Church has existed. But tithing is simply the act of giving God the first tenth of our increase. Not a tenth, but the first tenth. It's all about the first. Proverbs 3, it, 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 it's one of, the, one of the many scriptures that refers to this act of devotion. And in verse 9 it says, Honor the Lord with your possessions and with the first fruits of all of your increase. See, tithing, it's not about money. It, it, it's not about dollars and cents. Tithing is all about first 
things. It's the first. It's the first in my life. It's the first of my day. It's the first of my energy. It's the first of my thoughts. It's the first of my time. It's the first of my increase. Tithing is all about first. For the farmer, when he brought his harvest in, the first would not go on the dinner table at his house, but rather the first went to the house of the Lord. For, for, for the sheep farmer, the firstborn was not to go to the market. The firstborn was, was to be brought to the house of the Lord. And can I just be honest that there will be those who will hear this message, whether it's someone sitting in this room today or someone hears it on a, on a podcast, they will hear this and when they first are surrendering that, when they first start hearing this talk of subtraction in their life or letting something go or surrendering something, their guard's going to go up immediately. Immediately they're going to be guarded and, 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 and their, their hearts and minds will begin to be shifted and because, because we started talking about things in terms of subtraction. See, as long as we're talking about the God of addition, as long as we're talking about the God of blessing and favor and goodness, everybody's happy and everybody's clapping and everybody's on their feet rejoicing. But for some, when we begin to talk about subtraction, there's a shift that will begin to take place in their thoughts and in their feelings. But in reality, subtraction is the most opportune time to actually trust God. So when we begin to talk about this, there are people, there are people who were already thinking it, but now it's just reinforced in their minds that now God is a taker. God just wants to take. For some, they might associate it with the church, especially if they're talking about something like tithing. Well, the church just wants to take my money. They want to take. God's a God who takes. And those individuals are now thinking, you're going to talk to me about what God wants that is mine. And there's already this sense in our heart that says, God wants my stuff. And God's coming to take from me. So we form this idea about God as a taker in our lives. I know I'm not talking to anybody in this room when I talk about that, but that's the reality. That's the truth. There's an illustration that I've used many times before when I spoke about this principle of tithing where, where I would bring like 10 $1 bills to the platform and, and I'd call somebody up and I'd, I'd hand them the 10 $1 bills and, and, and it's a gift. It's a gift from me to them. It was my $10. I chose to give it to them, and I say, will you give me one back? And they'll usually always give me one back, and they're left with $9. They're now $9 richer than they were when they walked on that platform. Now, if I, after they walked down off that platform with $9 that they didn't have before, how would you categorize me? Would you categorize me as a giver or a taker? Naturally, everybody in the room would categorize me as a giver. But what a lot of people do is, is when we talk about the one the tithe, the first, giving of the first of our lives, they immediately think of God as a taker. But, you don't, but we don't see God as a taker when we see him as the one who's given us everything that we have in our lives to begin with. All we're doing with the tithe is we're saying from our hearts, God, I trust you, so I'm returning the first of my life back to you. Tithing was never about money. It was about an issue of trust and a matter of the heart. It's the same way with our kids. Once again, there's the kid in the back seat again. I'm kids. What our kids look? How many of you have pulled through McDonald's or Burger King or somewhere and you got the Happy Meal for the kids or, 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 or a sack full of burgers and French fries and, and you, they're getting it through the window and as you're, as you're passing it back, you're the in-between guy, and you're passing it back, you reach in that bag and you grab a handful of French fries. How many of you have done it? Raise your hand. You know, you know. You can't resist it. You can't, it's like a bag of Lay's potato chips. You just cannot, cannot, cannot resist it. And then the first thing that kid says in the back seat is, hey, wait a minute, that's mine. That's mine. At which point, you go ahead and give them a little attitude adjustment and say, wait a minute, you didn't pay for those french fries. I paid for those french fries. Actually, technically, they are mine. But then, at some point, when you come down off of your anger, you explain to them that guess what? Where that little bag of french fries came from, there's a whole lot more french fries in there. And guess what? Daddy's got a whole lot more money in the back pocket. He can get you all the french fries you want. If he's the giver, we can surrender whatever we have to him, knowing that he is looking out for us. He wants the best for us, and he will provide for us. 
which is where the second portion of that scripture in Proverbs 3 comes in. In 12.10, it says, So your barns will be filled with plenty, and your vats will overflow with new wine. So your barns will be filled with plenty, and your vats will overflow with new wine. As long as I've been in ministry, I've taught the message that God is a good God. He increases his people. He blesses his people. You cannot outgive God. You'll be, uh, if you'll be obedient and generous, God will bless your life beyond measure. I've preached this ever since I've been in, in ministry. It's always been interesting to me that there are people, good, God-fearing, Christian, church-going, heaven-bound, believing people who will actually resist that message. They'll resist this message. And I've heard people say things like this, I just want enough to get by. I, I just want to get by. I just, just, just my little piece of the pie and I'll be okay. I'm, I just want enough to get by. And they literally reject the second part of this text. They reject the goodness and the promises and the blessings and the provision of God. And they think they're living with some kind of saintly-like idea that, that maybe they're, they're more no, that it's more of a noble thing for them to do and, and, and the way to live their life and, and live with just enough or just enough for the basic requirements of life. But what I'd like to say to all of us today is this, life, that that way of thinking and that way of living is actually the most selfish way to live one's life. It's actually the most selfish way to live. If we have that kind of attitude, we are only thinking about ourselves. If we're saying, I just want enough to get by, I just, I just need my little, if I can just feed my little family and take care of my stuff and pay my little bills, we're only thinking about ourselves. It's the most selfish way to think if we eliminate that next verse. What God wants all of us, for all of us, is he wants us to be a blessing. He wants to bless us so that we can be a blessing. He wants to meet our needs, but he wants us to, he wants us to be used as a conduit, as a funnel through which he can channel his blessings to those around us. And touch lives of all those around us. We were never, the message is never give, get, 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 so you can have, have, have. The message is receive, 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 so that I can give, 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 whatever that is. Not money, not, not things, but, but whatever it is to be a channel for the goodness of God. I look across this church, and I think about the 17 years of this church and the people of this house. And how generous these people are. All of you, if you look around, I'm telling you, I'm looking at some of the greatest people, the most giving people, the most generous people in the world. I can't even mention a need around somebody without somebody saying, what can I do? How can I step up? How can I roll my sleeve? How much do I need to make the check for? How, let us help these folks. Let's do what we can. But can I tell you that we can't give what we don't have? But when we open our hearts up to the idea that God wants to bless us, that he wants us, that he wants me to be obedient and that he wants to give me everything that I have and, and that he wants me to be a channel and, and, and a conduit for his blessings to flow. And as an act of obedience, as an act of trust, as an act of confidence, he wants me to return the first back to him. And then it opens up the floodgates, it opens up the windows of heaven and pours out a blessing that I cannot contain. After I become a giver, the next thing God wants me to do, wants to do is he wants to become else shall die in our lives. Once we become a giver, the next thing he does is he becomes else shall die in our lives. Can I tell you what else shall die means? El shall die means God, the God of more than enough. The God of more than enough. God would have never introduced himself to us like that if he wanted us to think of him as the barely get by God. If you're Abraham and you stop in verse 2, then you never get to see verse 15, 16, and 17. And I'm closing with this. When we read verse 2 and we stop there, we make a premature judgment on God. If we just read verse 2, of this Genesis 22, if we, if we just read simply, we, we, we walk away from the story with a perception of God as simply a taker. He's only a God who takes. We say back to God, you want me to give what? My son? My only son? The one that I love? Is that what, that's what you're asking of me? That's what you, you want me to do what? You want me to do this? You want me to give up that? 
And when we live with that mindset, when we live with the mindset that God is the taker and we stop right there, then what we do is we'll end up living there forever. And we live in that place of just thinking that God is a cruel God and a mean God and he's a God who takes and doesn't give. The first line of verse 3, though, in Abraham's story, I love this. It reads like this, early the next morning. The very next phrase after God gives this instruction, this barbaric and cruel and almost mean instruction to Abraham, go sacrifice your boy. Immediately after that, the very next verse, it says, early the next morning. He didn't say, God, I need some time to think about this. God, I need to pray on this for a little while. I need to ponder on this for a little bit. No, early the next morning, Abraham got up, he loaded the donkey, and he headed off for the mountain. There was no time delay here. There was no hesitation. It was immediately all in trust. God, I trust you. Immediately acting on the word that God gave him. Immediately. We live in a society today that, that many times we overthink and we underact. We overthink and we underact, which is why so many people get stuck in a place of good intentions. In, in, in a place of, uh, uh, of, of I have to think about it for a little while i got to ponder on this a little bit. Or the, or, or, or the really spiritual people who will say things like, well, I need to pray about it. Can I just tell you that there's some things that we don't have to pray about? When God speaks, when God speaks his word, I don't have to pray about it. He's already said it. He already gave me the answer. The illustration that we've used many times before is, is God lays on my heart to go give this person $100. But wait a minute, God, I need to go pray about that. Can I just tell you, the devil never tells you to go give somebody $100. The devil, and I'm going to tell you something for certain, self doesn't tell you to do that either because self is selfish. Self isn't going to tell you to do that, and the devil ain't going to tell you to do that. It only comes from God, so you don't have to pray about it. The second somebody tells you to go put a $100 bill in that person's hand, you better just be grabbing it out of your pocket and go put it in their hand because God said it. There's some things we don't have to pray about. Early the next morning. First thing, God gave the instruction, God gave the word early the next morning. Trust, trust, trust is acting on the word that God gave us immediately. But today I simply want to encourage every one of us to realize how much benefit and how much potential lies ahead of us when we get past verse 2. Don't read the story, don't live the story, and stop at verse 2 and get stuck there. I'm not saying today that you'll have a bad life if you stop at verse 2. I'm not saying that you're going to have a curse on your life if you stop at verse 2. There's nothing condemning to be said about that or any of this today. But what I would like to say to, to today to us is this. We may measure our lives as being pretty good a few years from now, but we'll never know what could have been had we been obedient to verse 2. And we move past to see and immediately get up and take the step and follow after and obey the word of God. We'll never know how verse 15 and 16 and 17 and 18 would look like in our lives. Today, Abraham, Abraham is viewed as the father of almost every major religion in the world. Abraham, the father of our faith, but the father to many nations. And God said this to him. He said, every nation will be blessed because of you. Your willingness to surrender a son will result in you having many sons and daughters. As a matter of fact, as you look at the stars in the sky and the sands on the seashore, that won't even begin to number the blessing that I will pour out on your life and your descendants and your future. In fact, all nations, Abraham, will be blessed because of what happened to you and what you showed me today and your willingness to trust me, to not back down. I'm glad that God's not asking any of us in this room to do something as barbaric as he asked Abraham to do. I'm certainly glad he hasn't called us to sacrifice a child. 
but I'm also thankful that God places a demand on our lives. He does. We all have our own verse too. We all have that thing that God is calling us to, and it doesn't make sense to us at the time. We've all got that thing, that challenge in our life. God's saying, I'm calling you upward. And to us, it looks like a takeaway. To us, it looks like God taking from us. But all it is is God saying, I just want you to trust me. And if you'll trust me, I'm going to do some things in your life. I can't pour, I can't pour my blessings in something where there's a lid, where there's, where there's, this, where there's these limitations that you put on and, and you're holding on to your stuff and your will and your way. As soon as you will open it up and you'll trust me, now you've opened yourself up in a way that I can pour out the blessings of heaven in your life and they will be immeasurable in your life. I'm so thankful that God places demand on our lives. I'm glad that we all have a verse too because the demands God places on us actually sets us up, actually sets us in a position for the benefit and the blessing that will come as a result. I'm thankful that God would say to us, obey me, look to me, trust me, and don't back down from that trust. He's saying to all of us today, I am for you. I am not against you. Put your confidence in me. Put your trust in me. Be fully assured that I will never leave you. I will never let you down. I am am a faithful God, and I will do what I promised I would do in your life. So don't back down. Would you stand with me today across this room? And I wonder if we all, I don't know what declaration today over our lives. I don't know what you walked in here today with. I don't know what kind of cares and worries and, 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 and weights and burdens that you're carrying in your life today. I don't know what that thing is in your life that God's been calling out to you over the last 30 minutes saying, give it to me. Give it to me. Let it go. Trust me. I don't know what it is, but I'm sure for every one of us in this room today, there is that something. Whatever it may be, can we just make a declaration today? I'm going to trust God. Come what may, come whatever season there is in my life, whatever circumstances I'm facing, I'm going to trust God. And can we say it the way Tom Petty said it? Can we say it the way that, that, uh, that the, uh, who's the country singer? Johnny Cash, thank you. Can we say it the way they said it? Well, I won't back down. No, I won't back down. You can stand me up at the gates of hell but I won't back down gonna stand my ground I won't be turned around and I'll keep this world from dragging me down gonna stand my ground and I won't today back down in Jesus name Father I thank you today God for your word I'm thankful, God, that you are a faithful father, that you, Lord, are the ultimate giver of all good things in our lives. Everything that we have, God, we acknowledge that it comes from above. It comes from you. But today, God, I believe you're calling us, you're beckoning us to a higher place, God, a greater place of favor, a greater place of blessing a greater place of influence, God, to do, God, all that you've placed in our hearts to do, to allow the dreams that's in our hearts to come alive, Lord. And today, God, I believe you're calling us to open our hearts up, open our lives up, to surrender all to you today, God, to say from our hearts, God, I trust you. I trust you, Lord. I trust you with everything in my life. Lord, I ask that today you'll begin to have your way in every part of life. As we surrender all to you today, God, all of our thoughts, all of our ideals, all of the things that we try to hold on to and fix and manipulate, as we surrender it all to you today, I'm just trusting and believing that even at this very moment, you're opening up the windows of heaven, that you're going to begin to pour out blessings in every heart and life, bringing your peace, bringing your joy, God, bringing provision and comfort and wholeness and peace in every heart and life as they hunger, as we hunger and thirst after you. God, have your way in every heart and life, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen, amen, amen. Let's sing together today before we go home. Can we just worship the Lord for a few moments together today? In Jesus' name, amen. Now raise a hallelujah in the presence.
surrender and trust and trust thank you kevin what a great reminder of leaning on god and knowing that his ways are so much better than ours amen have you felt like you've been with god a little bit today in the presence of god amen thank you jesus leaving here a little bit stronger than we came in well hey have a great week go with god be blessed enjoy the beautiful afternoon we'll see you back here next week